Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, a badly morning to you. Badly, sadly morning. Mm. I'm afraid so. How are you doing? How are you feeling today? Weird. Weird. Weird? Weird, because I'm trying to trying to come to terms with this. I mean, when I say trying to come to terms with this, it makes it sound much more serious than it actually is you know it's not like a huge life-changing thing or whatever but you know i'm slightly torn between uh leaning into the one game at a time mantra which i think i've said before and you've said that if it applies to when things go well it also has to apply when things go wrong right Mm -hmm. that's part of why i think we've been extolling the virtues of this one game at a time, one game at a time, because it means that you don't get carried away when you win and you don't get too dismayed or or too downhearted and what have you when you lose. Nevertheless, there's an element of all this that feels like I've just picked off a very substantial scab and underneath there's a festering wound kind of thing. So that's where I am with all this, and I'm sure we'll tease it out. How about you? Yeah, same, really. I mean... Uh, I'll be honest, I'm not that bothered about losing the game. Like, it was bad, and we played really badly, and Mm -hmm. it's a bad result. But I accept that that can happen, that, uh, you know, everything can go wrong, and pretty much everything did go wrong last time. My my fear is more related to the kind of the longer-term repercussions of that, you know. To what extent will... Arsenal and Mikel Arteta be able to compartmentalise this, put it in a box and throw that box to the bottom of the ocean. Do you worry Um, about that bit? Do you worry about that aspect of it? Like the ability to say, okay, this was terrible. It was a bad result. It was a bad performance. I'm not necessarily worried about that per se, because I think throughout the season, we've seen reactions to bad results and bad performances, which which have told me that there is the ability within this group of players to do that. My my major concern is that this isn't just about getting everybody on the training ground today and saying, look, lads, let's pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off and go again. It's that a couple of very important players who should be part of that can't be picked up and dusted down because they're over there uh, in traction, if you know what I mean. 
Yeah, I think that's true. I think the psychological part will still be a challenge. And, and I think that, you know, I remember Arsene Wenger used to say all the time about confidence. You go up in the mm. stairs, you come down in the elevator. And, you know, I do slightly fear that there could be repercussions. Any heavy defeat can kind of sit with you as a player for a little bit of time. But uh, yeah, it's, mm. it's principally the injuries that have got me most worried yeah. this morning and most fearful about our chances in, in this kind of run-in. Um, yeah, which is saying something because obviously the performance was was really bad. <laughs> it was really bad. And uh, obviously there is a lot to tease out when it comes to the injuries, in particular, uh, Kieran Tierney um, and obviously Thomas Partey as well. And we'll talk about those, I think, in a bit more detail a bit later on. But obviously the... The absence of Tierney was unexpected. There were no suggestions or hints or rumours that there was a problem for him. Thank you very much indeed to Scotland manager Steve Clark for playing Kieran Tierney in two uh, international friendlies, full 90 minutes in both those games. He obviously needed just to figure out what Kieran Tierney was about because he, he doesn't know. He hasn't played him enough. He hasn't played enough for Scotland down the years to, to figure that out, you know? Sure, sure. Just the, you know, 32 international caps. Mm. Um Still a lot of questions to be answered, I guess. Um, mm. Yeah, that's pretty maddening, I think, for any club when a player acquires an injury during or after an international break. And sadly, I mean, it seems like it's a pretty serious injury. Mm. Um, so really, really bad news to... Which, you know, um, sent a ripple, I guess, through the Arsenal supporters pre-game when Arteta spoke about it in his pre-match interview. Yeah, um, our first clue that this was going to be a, a bad night, I guess. A difficult night. Yeah, but look, the issue this time last year was that when Kieran Tierney got injured, around the same time, I can't quite remember, but with about as many games to go, we didn't have a replacement. Um, and an it's the same issue this year. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, we, no, we, yeah, I know nominally, nominally, we've got... Nuno Tavares. I mean, we objectively, we have Nuno Tavares. Uh, last season, uh, we'd sent out Kolasinac on loan, and then there was the whole Granit Xhaka left-back thing, which um, still makes my brain hurt. Um, but we'll come to that. But Nuno coming in for Kieran Tierney, I think there's a very obvious quality golf there, but it is, um, uh, at least in terms of the positions within the squad, a like-for-like -like, uh, replacement. Um not that I think that explains Arsenal's first half performance or anything like that, which I'm I'm really curious to know what you think because it's really difficult to explain why we were second best to everything, why Palace were made it difficult for us. We knew they would. This wasn't a surprise to us. We knew how they were going to try and play. Um... Mikel Arteta spoke about it actually afterwards when he said to Sky Sports, um, we made it impossible for ourselves the way we competed. We talked about that just before the game. You have mm. to compete first in this ground. You have to be physical. You have to win the first and second balls. You have to go into the challenges and then you can start to earn the right to play. So this is not like, oh my goodness, what what have Crystal Palace tried to do to us here? We weren't expecting this. They knew that. So how do you tally that pre-game chat, that pre-game information where, where 
Arteta and the coaching staff and everybody is saying, look, we've got to compete physically with a display from a team which just really didn't. Is it just, I don't know, you have an off night, it doesn't quite work. How do you how do you assess that kind of um, dichotomy between what the manager wants and what is actually produced on the pitch? Well, I guess that telling somebody something is very different to them experiencing it. And, mm. you know, to, to take that to its most extreme example, you could tell me if I'm getting in the ring with Mike Tyson, oh, you know, keep it a distance. Don't, yeah. let him hit you. don't get punched. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. What you want to do is try and knock him out. Okay, mate, cheers. <laughs> like, I, I do think Arsenal were really, um, seem to be caught off guard. And and it is it is actually genuinely difficult to analyse quite how things unravel in the way they mm. did because it's cumulative isn't it it's like every misplaced pass every miscontrol everything that gets their fans up that energizes their players that gives them belief it it just builds on top of each other um mm. and I, I i do think at its heart is is what arteta said i think he's right it's sort of competing on the physical side but Technically, Arsenal were way off their game too. I mean, mm. I think pretty much everything that we could have got wrong in that first half hour, we did. Um, and, I, you know, I, the game was only last night and I've not had a chance to sort of watch it back and, and, you know, really watch it closely. But my mm. suspicion is that it's that period, the first 30 minutes in which we were truly, truly diabolical. And it's that period in which we lost the game yeah I think I think that's fair and there's a collective issue and I think there were some individual issues as well because you can be collectively off the pace and you know one moment from a player or one uh, piece of inspiration can absolutely change the momentum of the game but we couldn't get anywhere near that because no. players who can maybe produce those moments for us like Thomas Partey, like Martin Odegaard, like they have done in recent weeks and months, and those players have been very good for us, were almost completely the opposite, you know? And I wonder as well if perhaps there is an element of predictability to the way that we play, to the way that we set up, to counter some of the things that have been good about us in, in recent months. Are they now obvious, if you like? So... Gallagher on Thomas Partey, he never gave him a moment's piece. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, Partey, and it's not to say that in previous games, Thomas Partey um, hasn't had defenders or opposition players to deal with. He has, he's just dealt with them very well. But it was, it was pretty clear that Palace were keen to snuff out his influence on the game. And it didn't help that he also dropped a stinker in the first half in particular. Similarly, Martin Odegaard, technically a really, really secure player, uh, he also was way off the pace, couldn't control the ball, couldn't make the passes. You know, the things that he does routinely, he couldn't do. And I don't think it was just because Palace paid attention to him. I'm thinking as well, and I'm sure we'll talk about Alexander Lacazette also, whereby, look, there are things that he has done well in recent months, and there are aspects to his game which have benefited others. But he's now really, really, really easy to defend against. I don't think... Uh, Joachim Anderson will ever have an easier game in his life from a defensive point of view. So that aspect of of what we do and how we do it, 
I wonder, did that play a part? Well, I think in the Premier League, you get about six weeks grace. Like when you start doing something as a team, mm. it strikes me that it, for whatever reason, it takes about six weeks for the opposition analysis to catch up with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, one of the things we've seen like with this Arsenal team of the past couple of years is that we'll do something for a couple of months and then we'll have to slightly adapt um, in order to kind of stay ahead of the opposition. And and I think that might be happening across the league. I think it's sort of continual process of tweaking and evolution in order to kind of uh, overcome uh, what opposition managers try and do to shut you down. I mean, Palace really had had the international break and they had really done their homework, it seemed to me, on Arsenal. Yeah. You know, they made tweaks, what they did with Gallagher in terms of having him kind of pressing higher up the pitch on his own is is a bit unusual for them. They could have played Eze in that number 10 role, but they deliberately didn't because they knew exactly what they wanted to do with Partey. Vieira spoke after the game about the centre-halves that they picked and how Mm. they told one of them to just push higher up onto Lacazette and just follow him everywhere he goes. Um, And obviously that had a really big impact because Lacazette didn't really figure in the game at all. Um, So they had prepared for us and they had studied us. And so in that respect, I think you're probably right. Predictability may be. Um, What I would say is the best teams, when they play well, you you do kind of know what they're going to do. Everyone knows what Man City or Liverpool, within reason, are going to do. But... Mm. The execution, the mentality is at such a high level that it's difficult to stop. And, you know, evidently we're not there. Um, So, yeah, it it, it was an impressive first half performance from them, but really bad from us. And I think even the things that were within our control, we didn't do well. And I have to say, we gifted them a couple of goals as Mm. well. I, I watched those goals back last night when I got home and I was like, Bloody hell. I mean, they are really, really sloppy from an Arsenal perspective. They are. Uh, We might as well talk about them, seeing as we've come to that. So, um, first goal, free kick conceded out wide, bit sloppy, but those are are sort of free kicks that are meat and drink, really, and should be uh, defendable. Um, How do you view what happened next? Because I've seen people talk about maybe there's a foul on Nuno Tavares, and I think probably he gets a free kick if he competes properly for the ball. But he doesn't. He, he sort of ducks underneath it. Um, yeah. It's not good It's a defending. really strange one, yeah. to be honest. Like, it, the way he kind of ducks under it. I mean, if you're going to go down, you've got to go down there. Do you know what I mean? If yeah. you're going to get fouled, you've got to back into the player and actually get fouled. It's a decent ball from Gallagher because it's it's into an awkward area. It's probably too far for the keeper. But but ultimately, what Arsenal need to do is just win their duel there. I mean, just don't get Tavares punched. Is, yeah, I mean, well, Tavares is like exactly. Tavares is is six foot plus. Yeah, he's a big know, guy, big strong lad, and he should be doing better than that at the far post. Um, you know, I, I thought that was disappointing, and then there's a, there's a lot of sort of spare runners in the box and. It's it's a goal out of nothing for mm. I mean, I was sat next to the Athletics Palace guy, Matt Woosnam. He turned to me and said, he, he just said, well, that's just come out of absolutely nothing. And I thought, well, yeah, we've, we've, we've sort of given you a goal there. Yeah, I, I, I think that's fair. I don't think, I mean, Tavares needs, yeah, I mean, 
like I said, I think if he if he properly jumps there, I mean, Gabriel misses it. I think if he properly yeah, I mean, jumps Anderson's there, he gets a, a free kick. It's not a brilliant challenge from Anderson. I don't know how much he knows about the header he puts no, back across no, the goal. He's just sort of jumping in the jumping in the zone. But it's about, but, as Mikel Arteta said afterwards, it's about competing in those duels. We didn't compete. I think if you compete, you either make it more difficult for Anderson or Tavares gets a free kick or we win the header. Uh, the ball doesn't squirt directly to a guy who's standing there unmarked. I mean, they showed the, um, uh, when I was watching it at halftime on Sky, um, they just showed like uh, Mateta's eyes light up as the ball comes towards him. He's like, oh, here we go. Here we go. And he just loafed it past uh, Aaron Ramsdale. But it's it's about not competing properly for a ball in the box. And considering how good we've been from set pieces throughout this season, that was disappointing. It was, yeah. And I think... If Tavares complete, competes properly in that challenge and it doesn't work out for him, I think people are relatively understanding of that. But mm. it does feel like he, he he sort of doesn't really engage properly. Mm. But I think the second goal is 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 uh, worse actually. I mean, it's it's really bad defending. I think on our left hand side. Um, it is. I mean, where where do you stand on like the passage of play? I'm watching it back here. Could Lacazette do better in the ta- in the tackle in the yeah up? maybe yeah yeah in on the halfway line isn't it something like that but yeah I remember thinking that at the time um, mm. that they they knock the throw in back and pff, it's a it's a bit of a weak challenge but the thing is like the, the pass that's played when it's played Arsenal's defensive line is just absolutely all over the place like Tavares is about. Eight yards deeper, isn't he? Than yeah, he's, and White. yeah, he's in he's in a poor position. Well, I mean, he's in a poor position if you're looking to play offside. He's actually initially in a pretty decent position to cover if Gabriel misses the ball. But what he does is make the assumption that Gabriel is going to win it, and he stops and he's flat-footed, and then he's caught on his heels. Right. So when Gabriel misses it, Ayu can just run through, and it's you know it's a pretty decent finish to be fair, but. It's just so so soft, isn't it? You know. Yeah, and 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 listen, I mean, Nuno had a really difficult night, mm. and obviously was brought off. But I, I do think, I mean, listen, front to back, we were really bad. I thought Gabriel probably had his worst game of the season. I mean, I think we said he had his best in an Arsenal yeah. shirt at, at Villa Park, but um, yeah, those sleepless nights really getting to him. I think uh, after the birth of his child, I mean, this was. I mean, I wonder is that. I wonder is that actually a consideration? You know, yeah, I think it has to be, doesn't yeah. it? We joke about it, but I mean, you wonder watching him. You yeah. do wonder. He did. I mean, he looked like a guy who hadn't slept for a few nights. You know, there were. We can talk about the goals, and we can talk about his role in the goals. But there was another moment as well where he almost put Ramsdale in big, big trouble with a with a bad back pass, a careless back pass. You know, and I think another yeah. night, if he's sharp, if he's on his game, he cuts that initial pass out from Anderson. You know. Also, yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't know if it's the right decision to step up and, and try and do that. I don't know, but it's interesting watching a player's demeanour as well. He, I mean, obviously, Arsenal went two 0 down very quickly. <clears throat> it was obvious things weren't working out, but he was a really frustrated um, figure. He he looked like a bloke who hasn't slept. To yeah. be honest, and I'm not making excuses for him, but that's what he looked like. Yeah. Um, but then you know that's 23 minutes in. 
two two nil, and you've given yourself a mountain to climb, really. And I think as good as Palace were, and as bad as we were, they didn't create a lot in the game. There was another. Um, Ramsdale had to make another good save, I think, from could have been from Mateta at one point. Uh, a really poor piece of uh, defending Gabriel again, not sharp, not tight to his man. There was a, it was a shot from like just inside the D, something like that. Um, right. That was about forty minutes in. So while I think you're right to say that the initial twenty five thirty minutes were the worst, there were still things that Palace did in that first half which threatened, whereas we didn't really threaten a great deal um, in that no, first period. I remember a header. Was there a Lacazette header in the first half? There was, but I mean, uh, it, uh, I don't know that you could use the word threat um, in conjunction no, no, no. with that I header. I don't think so either, <laughs> but uh, maybe had it been a different player on the end of it is what I mean. But I mm. think, yeah, I, it, it was pretty bad. And I, I remember sort of just watching Martin Odegaard miscontrol the ball and thinking, oh man, yeah, it's what's not happening? our night. Yeah, yeah, um, and I mean the only sort of consolation I, I I could sort of take in the first half was like I don't think we can be as bad in the second. Um, I mean, obviously, it's difficult to ana- to analyze the second because you you know I, I do think Arsenal improved actually, and I, I think that had we taken one of our chances, um, we might have made a game of it, but. Yeah a lot of it is Palace adapting what they do as well, right? And sitting in and saying, of course, we're going to knock it up to Zaha and try and cause you problems on the break. Yeah, I mean, look, he did make the change at halftime. Were you at all surprised by Tavares coming off? We're getting used to it, aren't we? I mean, difficult to be. I I think I was a bit surprised by how aggressive the um, tactical change was um, in terms of getting Martinelli on. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I guess he felt he had to do it. I mean, I asked him about it after the game and he said it was purely tactical. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of what he has to say. And there is probably a bigger discussion to be had about Tavares, um, which we might say for, for the second part of the show, part because there's been a lot of questions, but I, I suppose if you are, I mean, what else for, could he do? You know, yeah, I mean, exactly. That's, that's what I'm thinking. Like if you are looking for any kind of crumbs of comfort, from last night. It was at least that the substitutions were, as you say, in some ways, aggressive. Um, I'm not sure Xhaka at left back, you can say, is is an attacking substitution, but it was designed so we could get an extra attacker on the pitch. We took off Cedric to put on Inkedi, another forward yeah. on the pitch. Um, we didn't have a choice, obviously, about the the... Uh, the Partey one, and we'll come to that too, I guess. Um, but Sambi came on, I think, did well, which is, in some ways, uh, a nice thing to see, even if the result uh, obviously didn't go our way. It was good to see him back and good to see him play in a positive way. Um, yeah, I think the changes we made were were probably the right ones. And I think there's a case that Arsenal subs were <laughs> the players who emerged with most credit on the night. Um I think they were better for the most part than the starters. Um, but, uh, yeah, listen, I mean, he, he went for it because he knows the value of these points at this stage mm. of the season. Um, you know, if every game's a cup final, you've got to approach it like that and you've got to do everything you can to get something in that 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, obviously, it, it didn't pan out that way. And, 
you know, as I, I do have some regrets about the the chances that we didn't take because well, not not guilt edge necessarily. They were decent. They were decent opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I think the one, the first one that was decent was the Smith Row. Yeah, um, which he hit. Maybe he was a little surprised by the ball coming to him because it squirted off Lacazette and a defender. Um, it wasn't as if you know he was waiting for a pass, but maybe he should have been sharper there. Um, what else? There was a Martin Odegaard chance as well, which I think he should have scored. And, and certainly yeah. one goal, a goal can change the complexion of the game, as we know, and it, it might put a bit of fear into the opposition. Because yeah, all of a sudden... 65 minutes, yeah. I think those. And, you know, I think that would have really changed the dynamic. I mean, you know, whether or not it would be enough for Arsenal to snatch a point... Uh, I don't know, but I think it would have uh, changed the complexion of it. Of course, what what actually happened is I think not too long after Odegaard missed that chance, he ends up conceding a penalty. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that was frustrating because it was slightly reminiscent of... Um, remember when Party got injured in the North London derby? He'd already signalled to the bench... Um, mm. Was he, he was he on a yellow card at that point? Did Partey get booked? I think he did, didn't he? Wait, in which game, sorry? Um, in in this game, did he get a yellow card? He did. He got a yellow card early in the second half. So yeah. he had he had signaled to the bench to say, look, I can't continue. I need to come off. Palace break, and there's a sort of uh, a duel, if you like, in, in midfield with Zaha and Partey is there, and he can't make any kind of a he can't make any kind of a challenge there because then he gets sent off basically um but i do think uh, i'm just looking at it again here and now i do think that gabriel could easily have made a foul he made a fairly tame challenge ben white backed off odegaard came in i think it's a soft penalty but probably a penalty and certainly the kind of penalty that you get at home you know yeah, did Odegaard give one similar one away? Manchester oh, United, yeah. I've, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In quite similar fashion, sort of chasing back, but a bit clumsy in the box. Yeah, like well um, done for getting back in there and doing your defensive duty, but you need to be smarter in terms of how you how you make the challenge. But I think that kind of definitely. summed up his night in a way. Yeah, I, I think I think it is a penalty. I've seen people saying it's yeah. not. I think it is. Um uh, he steps up and he scores, and, and you know that 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 was that. I mm. mean, um, my focus began to drift a bit and sort of think about the bigger picture. I mean, I, yeah, I saw Party in the centre circle really struggling, and I think from that point on, I was kind of uh, thinking about that maybe more than anything else. Did you think we should have had a penalty, by the way, for the foul on Saka? Um, well, I say foul for the coming together. I mean, I think there's a definite shove. But whether it's quite enough for a penalty, I'm not sure. But I, I what I think in the VAR era, there was one on Lacazette right on the edge of the box. And I think his foot is inside the box and his foot gets stood on. And again, it's not necessarily what you would call a, a stone-cold penalty or anything like that. But you've seen them given, in particular in this era where VAR rewinds and looks again, and there didn't appear to be much in the way of a, a check on that. So I thought maybe mm. out of the two of them, the Lacazette one was probably more of a penalty, but 
I don't know that I want to sit here and bemoan a penalty we didn't get when really the defeat was based on the performance or, or the lack of performance in the in that first half. Um, mm, mm, yeah. What about you? I, I'm inclined to agree. Yeah, no, I'm inclined to agree. I, I, I'm not sure the Saka one is for me. Um, I think if it's given, it probably isn't overturned, but I think if that was given against Arsenal, you'd think it was very, very soft. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean... Trying to think what happened after that. I mean, Eddie and Ketty blessed the bar. Scored what absolute wonder goal. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, comes off the bar. Sort of uh, sums up the way things are for him at the present time. Um, and we, you know, we ended up playing a, a pretty wild formation. I think it was basically two centre halves and everyone else pushing on. Yeah, um, but we didn't really get anywhere. I, I, I yeah, I, I do think that. Uh, Listen, nobody wants to hear. It, I'm sure, but I do think we were uh, we were better in the second half. Um, but we'd set a pretty low bar in the first. And yeah, I think, I, it, yeah. yeah, I think we I think we gave ourselves a mountain to climb. Like I say, and I just think it's you you can't do that. You can't do that. No, you can't do that at this level. Like you you know that if you're off it in any way, teams in the Premier League are going to punish you. And I think what's probably most disappointing is is just the fact that we weren't competitive, we weren't physically at it, we were... I know I've seen people say we were bullied. I'm not necessarily sure that's the case, uh, even if Zaha versus Cedric felt a little bit unfair at times. Uh, God bless him. He mm-hmm. did try his best, Cedric. He made one and, good, very good tackle in the yeah. box, as I recall. And then um, gave the ball away and nearly conceded a penalty. Uh, sure, sure, you sure. know, which is kind of a, a thing he's done of late. But, you know, I, I don't want to be critical of him per se because I think he did try hard against Zaha, who is is quite physically difficult to play against. But across the pitch, you know, it wasn't so much that we were bullied. It's just that we just weren't, there and then on top of that the technical aspects of our game where you might expect to have a bit more quality in areas of the pitch where you can start to do them some some damage it just wasn't there and I think do you want to talk about up front do you want to talk about Lacazette um yeah we can do yeah I mean I thought like I say I think Palace made plans for him and I think maybe more and more teams are doing that and yeah. when we were behind in the game, um, we really struggled for presence in that part of the mm. pitch. Uh, you know, he really, really struggled to impose himself on the game. And obviously the goals are a big issue. Um, and we've spoken about that. But when you're not scoring goals, it's just so imperative that you do the other things well. And he didn't do them well at all. In this yeah. Game. I mean, is it time to call... Halt, halt is the wrong word. Is it time to consider something else? Because as I said, he has done some things well and he has helped bring others into play. But I just think it's now too predictable. It's too easy to see what way he plays. I think he drops too deep. Um, we don't have enough presence. He is almost zero goal threat. Um, I don't know how many hours it is since his last goal from open play. I'm sure uh, the stats out there doing the rounds. What we need in a centre forward or what we look for in a centre forward 
are we giving him too much of a free pass in a way? Because at the end of the day, his job is to score goals. And I know the system is such that, you know, the, the role that he's playing, it sounds stupid to say his role as a centre forward is not to score goals, because I think it is. And that's what Mikel Arteta talked about when he said, what are you looking for in a striker? A couple of weeks ago, he was asked, what are you looking for in the striker that you're going to try and sign in the summer? And he said, first thing is goal threat. We need goals from the center forward. So I don't Mm. believe that he is just saying to Lacazette, well, we don't need you to score goals. We do need him to score goals. We've needed him to score goals for, for a while now. But the things that he was effective at are now are no longer effective in the way that he plays at centre-forward. And I think it's it's too easy for teams to control him and to control the lack of threat that he has. And I just wonder if we need to do something a bit different now. I think it's sort of, a, without wishing to dodge the question, I think it's sort of a bigger question really about the shape of the team more generally and to what extent are we going to be able to preserve what we've been doing? up until this point mm. you know I think I, I have I completely understand why Arteta is stuck with something that's been working and that's been producing really good results um, but I wonder if the injuries that we've suffered albeit yeah. in different parts of the pitch sort of prompt such a big or such a necessary rethink that everything comes into question and I don't say that with any great satisfaction like in my ideal would be that we pick our best 11. We have our best 11 available that we all know probably what that is. Mm. We uh, probably includes uh, Lacazette and we play that 11 and that shape that's got our, got us this far and we do that on Saturday against Brighton and it works better and everyone feels better about themselves. But enough pieces are kind of missing from that mm. that Arteta's got a bit of a conundrum on his hands. and I, And I do think that that will call the striking situation into some question. I mean, if I had to make a prediction, I think he'll stick with Lacazette because I think if he's losing Partey, I think he will still want to have that kind of seniority through the spine of the team. That's just my hunch. No, no, I, I get that. And I do, I do get that side of it. But I just think there comes a point where you have to acknowledge that a player is not giving you enough and I, I know there's another aspect of this. There's another side of this. There's a paucity of options for the manager in that position for reasons mm-hmm. we all know and understand that makes it more difficult to make a change. Like I think if we had a couple of other strikers uh, in the team or in the squad, I don't know that this is a difficult decision in any way. No, because, I agree. It's a straightforward decision in that, in that yeah, instance. Yeah, on form, I don't know that you say, like I said, is in our best eleven. You know, if we're looking at it from a form perspective, I mean, even simple stuff like the amount of times he got caught offside last night in mm. positions where, like, that you're experienced. You've played the game for X amount of you. You can't be caught offside in, in moments like that, you know? Um, I just think we have to consider the lack of form as something that impacts the team selection, even if the options we have available to us are are imperfect. And I, I have to say, 
I would be inclined to think about Gabriel Martinelli starting up front at the weekend against Brighton. I know it's, um, you know, people will have their pros and cons and all that kind of stuff. But when we talk about being predictable, when we talk about maybe bringing something different to the team, a different dynamic, he plays in a different way. But maybe the injuries that we've suffered to Tierney, to Partey, which are going to have an impact on team selection, also necessitate a slight change in the way that we play the game. So we can't we can play, let's say, if you want to call it the Lacazette game, it becomes more difficult to play that way if you don't have Partey and if you don't have Kieran Tierney. Yeah, I think it could go either way. I mean, it, if, if you're going to drop Lacazette, I think... Um... Martinelli is the one. Mm. I, I don't see. I, I don't really take like Enketia or even Pepe particularly seriously there. I mean Smith Rowe. Smith Rowe at the start of the second half sort of went and played as far as I could see pretty close to Lacazette. I mean they were almost operating like a, a front two at times, and I do wonder if that option of Smith Rowe might mm. be in Arteta's mind. For me, Martinelli is kind of the obvious one. I actually thought he. He breathed some life into the team when yeah. he came off the bench yesterday. Um, his directness, his willingness to make something happen. Um, he's so hungry in you know around the penalty box, and that's something Lacazette doesn't really seem to have. That hunger for goal scoring um, is certainly not evident in the way that he plays the game right now. So yeah, I, I think I think it, listen, the manager has to be thinking about it. Um, it's just a question of if he sort of yeah. takes the plunge. And I think a lot of that will depend on the changes that he feels mm. he has to make elsewhere. Well, we'll come to those, I think, in, in part two. Um, okay. But just sort of going back to what we were talking about at the, the start of the show, um, Arteta spoke on on Sky afterwards and said all the things, you know, that you would expect a manager to say it wasn't good enough, uh, you know, um, it was unacceptable, all those kinds of things, which, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. any manager is going to say after any kind of performance like that, if he's being in any way honest. And I think one of the things you have to say about Arteta is he's generally pretty honest about his assessment of our performances and the way that we played. But then he said... Mm-hmm. Um, we have to know this is not good enough for this club. It's an opportunity to see our unity and if you're on the boat. When everything goes well, everybody wants to be there. Now, jump on the boat and and give us a hand. You know, so the 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 implication obviously is like, okay, it's easy to take the plaudits when things are good, but we have to respond to this. So how do we how do we view this in the context of this season, this top four chase? It's. I mean, personally, I think it's hugely important that this gets put in a box. Like, I don't mean ignore it. I don't mean um, dismiss the way that we played or anything like that. I think we have to look at that performance and absolutely say, it's not good enough. We've got to do better. But I don't think it will be in any way helpful for us to dwell on it. Um, I know it's easier said than done. You know, it's, it's not, uh, it's like saying, uh, if you get in the ring with Mike Tyson and you get the head punched off you and I say to you, James, look, listen, just stop thinking about the pain. It'll be fine yeah. for your next fight. Get back fight. out there. And you're going, 
but look, my eyes are swollen. I, think I really shut. need some training or, or something. Yeah. My nose is all broken. You know, it, it's easier said than done. But it is part of this when he talks about unity and when he talks about team spirit, when he talks about mental strength and the ability to deal with difficult situations, we kind of have to, like, say, okay, our one game at a time, it was good when it was good, and this was bad, but now we have to just, like, we really have to stick it away and compartmentalise it as, as best we can. Yeah, we do. And I think at this stage of the season, especially for us as fans, every win and every defeat weigh heavier, you know, that the, mm. the stakes feel yeah, really yeah, yeah. high right now. Um, we have to hope that internally they can manage that better. Um, and also use this as kind of motivation. You know, Arsenal were humbled by Crystal Palace and they've got a point to prove and they've got an opportunity on Saturday to mm. put that right. And, you know, I think when we, we've been on such a good run that when we eventually lost, which was inevitable, um, I think it was always going to feel, mm. uh, how can I put it? Not seismic, but, you know, we, inevitably the worry would be, okay, is this the wheels coming off? Because we've all got that sort of anxiety within us. Um, it doesn't have to be that, you know? It yeah. doesn't have to be that. And 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 I and, and like I say, the only thing that's going to be pause for thought here is if it was just the game, if they just played badly at Palace and got heavily beat, didn't take their chances, were punished for their mistakes, I think I'd be sitting here this morning thinking, do you know what? That happens. You know, we're yeah. we're good, but we're not that good that we have the quality and the mentality to avoid that happening. Every so often, you're going to get caught in the Premier League. You're going to get sucker punched. Chelsea got beat 4-1 by Brentford at Stratford yeah, yeah, this yeah, weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the nature of the league. But my bit, my far bigger worry is that we may have lost two players who are much more difficult to replace than certain others in the team and that that will mm. disrupt us in a way that goes much further than just isolating it to one game. I think that's fair. And we've got lots of questions about that, actually, about what we do and the the implications of those injuries and, and everything else. So uh, unless there's anything else, do you want to leave it for part one there and we'll come back and, and do all that uh, in the next bit? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's do it. All right. We will take a break. We'll be right back with your questions and more right after this. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, 
you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. And just to let people know that as well as lending our support to the fantastic uh, work that our friends over at the Arsenal Vision podcast are doing, raising money for the Arsenal Foundation, which is in turn raising money for Save the Children, we are donating every single penny from our uh, April Patreon to UNICEF to help children around the world who are impacted by war and conflict in Syria, in Yemen, Afghanistan, Gaza, and lots of other places too. So if you ever wanted to sign up to Patreon this month, your uh, your subscription not only gets you access to all the stuff that we do on Patreon, but will ensure uh, that the money goes to good causes as well. So you can do that at patreon.com forward slash arseblog uh, and your support obviously would be hugely appreciated uh, and very uh, very welcome so there you go yeah um, brilliant stuff uh, and yeah i should point out as well that uh, the uh, arsenal vision guys um are raffling off or auctioning sweepstaking a a prize um at the end of the season for the final game against everton uh, to watch a game in a in a vip box at the emirates uh, with myself and elliot and clive and tim i'm not sure if paul is coming over or not i'm not 100 sure on that but that's a that's a prize and hopefully we can all be there for frank lampard relegation day as well as securing the top four, you know. Great. And I'm going to offer someone the opportunity to fight Mike Tyson. Um, I thought you were, going to say, <laughs> you were going to say they fight you. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that might be, but more, might be more people actually prepared to pay for that opportunity. Well, you are a boxer um, underneath it all. True. That's true. Um, yeah, no, great. I love, to be honest, seeing uh, all this... Uh, good work being done by Arsenal podcast so really really lovely it is good and it's a, you know what it is as well it's a it's a real testament to the Arsenal fan community that they back yeah. things like this uh, to the extent that they do you know and uh, particularly at the moment where it feels like we really need to do as much as we possibly can to to look after one another in this crazy world that we're living in and you know whatever's happening in terms of the football um, whatever people's opinions are of that, uh, you know, we're we're part of and very lucky to be part of a, a really great Arsenal community, uh, and it's always really heartening to to be involved in things like this uh, and to see how well they're supported. So um, thank you very much to everybody in advance, and of course this is running throughout the month of of April. So we'll talk about it again at some point. Um, shall we get on with the questions? Yeah, we probably should, because there's about a million about what to do about left-back, aren't there, in different guises. There are. I've got a couple here. Um, Benny Blanco on the Discord says, Good morning, gents. Given the probable absence of KT for the foreseeable future, Nuno's poor showing last night, and a potential injury to Thomas Partey, is the most sensible path forward a return to a back-three formation? Results, not performances, for me now, and um, also on the Discord, Castle says, hey guys, what's your take for Nuno's Arsenal future? Surely he'll feature again if Tierney's injury is serious, but I can't see him staying at the club next season, even if it's only a lone departure in the summer. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on 
what the fuck we're going to do at left back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well put. Um, it's really tricky, you know. It's mm. really tricky because we're looking at a player in Nuno's had two starts, neither of which he's made it past half time. Yeah. Um, in between those, I think he's played a minute uh, away to Wolves in the Premier League as a mm. late substitute. I think there are two issues there. One is the player's confidence, which is probably shot. I think as much as he can be a showy player on the ball, I think he's a relatively... um, He's a young guy. Mm. He's a young guy. And I think, uh, you know, he he might be suffering as a bit of a consequence of what's happened. But the other issue of confidence is obviously the confidence of the manager in him. What degree of trust does he have left? I think the amount in which he's been used since Nottingham Forest to me suggests not a great deal. Do, do you um, do you think that the decision, you know, to take him off after 30 minutes against Nottingham Forest and the decision to take him off last night, even though he said it was tactical, I think, to be fair, I think it was. It, it yeah, was tactical, yeah. but also it was tactical because he was playing poorly and was... Well, it's good tactics to take a player off if they're playing really terribly, yeah. I guess. Yeah. You know, but do, do you think that, that those decisions, um, should I say, are sort of informed by a more general concern Arteta might have about him that goes beyond, let's say, just those two performances? Maybe. I mean, he's seeing more than us, isn't he? Yeah. But... I do think it's interesting. Remember, Nuno had a really difficult night at Anfield and Arteta picked him to start the next game Mm. against Newcastle, I think it was. And that was it. I think Tierney came back in after that. I think I'm right in saying. I'll have a look while you're Um, talking. Yeah. But it was... uh, Or maybe not. Maybe that was Sammy I'm thinking of. But, you know, he he stuck with him. Mm. A, in a difficult moment and I remember thinking like oh that's a real sign of faith and it's something that the player can really cling to and build from but that degree of patience maybe because as we said we're at the sort of business end of the season uh, isn't there seemingly right mm. now I mean what do you think do you think Nuno is usable That that's I mean unfortunately that is the question that we have to ask ourselves yeah I have some, I have some serious doubts, to be honest, um, because he doesn't look confident. He doesn't look switched on in his defending, which I think is a an issue and was certainly an issue last night. And it's been an issue when you know you talk about Mikel Arteta keeping faith with him. There was a a giveaway at at um, at Anfield, wasn't there? Was that yeah. it was his giveaway, and then he did keep faith with him. We beat Newcastle. He kept faith with him again, and we went to Manchester United. And there was another mistake at Manchester yeah. United, and we're seeing two mistakes last night, if you want to call them that. Um, and look, he's not alone in having played poorly last night. But what he does have is kind of like a not not necessarily a track record, but there have been moments where his inexperience or rawness or whatever you want to call it, maybe it's just his level has been exposed this season. And there comes a point where you you start to run a risk by using a player. Um, 
But it is a when re- he's bad, he's very, very bad. That's yeah. the problem. It's- <laughs> you said to me last night, "Let's hope we get good Nuno," uh, and we didn't. Yeah, and you texted me back saying it is not good Nuno. No, <laughs> um, but uh, I, I do think in some just some mitigation because I, I, you know, I think there are some tactical things that made him a particularly bad fit last night. If you think about when he was playing in the team, and it seems crazy to say now, but keeping Kieran Tierney out of the team at one stage. The way we were set up then was quite different. First of all, we had Tommy Asu on the other side, mm. who in, continues to be a big miss, and Lord knows what's going on there. I mean, it's been a long absence now, two injuries, not even on the bench last night. And that t- t- Tommy Asu and Tavares were a more balanced pair of fullbacks than, say, Tavares and Cedric. You know, Tommy Asu would tuck in, you almost had a third central defender there. Tavares could push on. The other thing that was different at that time was, of course, Granit Xhaka was playing in a much deeper role mm. next to Thomas Partey. And when Tavares went charging up the pitch, Xhaka was there, filling in for him. And I thought at kickoff last night, maybe Xhaka would be asked to do that. Yeah. You know? But we didn't. We stuck with what we've been doing and we asked Tavares to do the the Tierney job, the slightly more defensive-minded, conservative left-back job, and he he's not cut out for that. Yeah, I mean, I I I, I see what you're saying there, but I don't think necessarily that the the issues that Tavares had in last night's game are because Cedric was on the other side, or because of the role that he was asked to play. It was just really bad defending. You know, that could have happened with Shaka beside him, with Shaka just in front of him, with Tommy Asu over the other side. You know, um, it's- I suppose what I'm saying is can you protect him or, or, um, hide is the wrong word, but can you, can you, if you are going to use him, I will, I'll say this if you're going to use him, I think you need to tweak the setup of the team sure. to mitigate against his weaknesses. Well, I think this is why people are talking about using a back three, for example. So you can play yeah. him as a wing back. I mean, the whole thing is really, really complicated because if you decide he's not usable, who is? Because if you lose Thomas Partey for a few weeks, I'm sorry, um, I don't think you can take Granite Shack out of midfield. I just don't think you can then use Xhaka no. a left back and and cope with midfield. I, I like there was a graphic that went up on Sky Sports last night. Where did I see it? You know, when when Xhaka and Partey play together, Arsenal like they average two point four points a game, something like that. And when they don't Can't play together, it, yeah, yeah, you know, it, it's a it's a good combination. Um, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, I think AFC stuff had it. Yeah. Games with the two of them together, with 14, without 14, wins 11, and without six. Win percentage, 79% uh, versus 43%. Points per game, 2.4 versus 1.5. So if you lose one of those pieces, I don't think you can then just completely install a brand new midfield by playing Granit Xhaka. <clears throat> at left back, and that was a. Well, situ- what would you do in midfield? It would have the to be one. at Odegaard and Smith Rowe, or something like that. I guess. Yeah, you know, Mohamed El Nani's there as well, but uh, you know, is that oh, yeah. really the answer to any particular problem? I'm I'm not sure that it is. So I think it's a really complicated decision for Mikel Arteta to make. Um, like if he, I, if for he, me, for me, it's. Um, 
well, it's all contingent on Tomiyasu, but if you can get Tomiyasu fit, then I, I think I think I'm in camp Cedric actually as a left back. I think that's where I am. I mean, that, I think- that's certainly an option. I wrote about that today, that maybe you could flip Cedric out to left back if Tommy Asu is, is not fit. Like, I don't think he's brilliant there or anything like it, but I, I think the risk factor with Cedric there is much less than it is with Tavares there based on what we've seen from him, not throughout the season, but, but fairly consistently, I think he's been... He's had difficult moments defensively, even if he's had some very exciting attacking moments. I mean, the other aspect is maybe you just play him higher up the pitch. I don't know, but what does that do for your left hand side? Um, well, I, I think there's. I think if you were going to use him, Tavares, I think the back three conversation is kind of interesting. But I think there's kind of a way of playing a back three without playing a back three, which is that you you pick Shaka and Lakonga in midfield. And you go back to Shaka mm, in that space, kind of in that space. Yeah, exactly. And 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 Tavares does what Tierney did last season: play higher up the pitch, join the fifth five fifth line of the attack. And Shaka is nominally a central midfielder, but almost the third centre half in the build up. Mm. That that is a way out of it. But that if you want to play that, you probably have to pick Tavares at left back or. I mean, there's been some suggestions. I'm just trying to look in the questions now to see if I can find uh, an example. Yeah, so Mr. Beer says Saka at left back gets all our star boys in the team. This time last year, you know that that was something that I thought was probably the best solution for mm. our our problem at that point. This time around, I don't think I would... I mean, you could say, okay, play Saka at left-back and you've got Nicolas Pepe um, who could fill the Saka role or you play Smith-Rowe left and Martinelli right. You know, it is it is possible, but I just think taking... Uh, look, if we had a centre-forward, it would be probably an easier decision to make. But we don't have a centre-forward who scores goals and Saka is our joint-leading goal scorer. I mean, we're going to need goals to get us into the top four if that's still a realistic prospect. So removing one player from the attacking third of the pitch, even if you could do maybe the best job at left back from the options that we have, it doesn't really make sense to me. I mean, is there any part of you that thinks as bad as he's been, we've got to... We've got to try. We've got to give Tavares the Brighton game and see if he can find some form and just like, you know, work on his confidence and his positioning and all that stuff because ultimately mm. he is a left back and we need a left back. Or do you think that's too big a risk at this point? Like, I think it's probably in terms of personnel the, the ideal solution. It will all depend on, A, what kind of faith Mikel Arteta has in him at this point. Like, if he picks him for Brighton, it's probably a show of faith in the player. That he thinks, okay, yeah. yeah, okay, look, he's had some bad games, he had a bad time, but we need him. He's our backup left back. And let's try and rebuild his confidence and and everything else. And in that case, 
you have to respect what the manager is seeing on the training ground and everything else. I think if Tavares doesn't start on Saturday against Brighton, if Tierney is ruled out and if Thomas Partey is ruled out and Tavares doesn't start on Saturday against Brighton, I think he's basically toast. Yeah, and what's really hard is like we... Obviously, we see the performances in the games Mm. and we've seen how they've gone. We don't see what happens in between. We don't know if he's tearing it up in training and they're all like, there's a player here. You know, we just, it's for some reason, it's not happening on the field, but we're leaving him. We're going to keep working. Or we don't know if in the last six months, the coaching staff have been looking at him and thinking, something's not right with this guy. You know, he's, he's not at the level. Um, and I think we'll probably get our answer at about 2pm on Saturday when the team sheets come out. You know, I think that will tell us really where he is in Arteta's thoughts. Is he a guy they are prepared to count on yeah. between now and the end of the season? Um, and if not, what are they going to do? Uh, you know, it is fascinating. And, and it the, the only thing I would say is that as good as Tierney has been and as much as he's an important player... One of the things we've talked about is his his role in the team changing and being yeah. de-emphasised slightly. You know, if it was last season, Tierney was our whole attack. You know, that was everything we did going down the left-hand side, the overlap and slinging in the crosses with mixed results. Um, if we could find someone who could do a job at left-back, it needn't necessarily disrupt us too much, you know? <laughs> Well, I mean, that's the um, the unfortunate part of this for Tavares is that that aspect of the it's job not his game. is not his game. Certainly not yeah. at this point in his career. Maybe he'll develop into a good defender, but it's clear that his his strength is in the opposition half. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, he really does have some strength in that regard. He is quite good going forward. There was a moment last night, do you remember, where I think we'd... Um, We'd worked it quite well down the right-hand side and it came across and he was about 30 yards out and he thought about having a shot. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wonder he takes if, up really interesting positions yeah. in the opposition half, for sure. And I just wonder if like, there was a game earlier in the season where he took about eight shots and they all went crazy wide and high and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think maybe at that point in the season he would have had a crack. This time around he got caught in two minds and, and I think lost the ball and Palace had a break and, and whatever. But his strength is in the attacking third. If you're looking for somebody to do a defensive job at left back, I don't know that that he's the guy. I mean, it's yeah. so complicated. I, I, you know, the tyranny and party injured, tyranny injury in particular has made this, you know. And and I think I think for me, it's it's as clear cut as if you want to pick Tavares, I think you have to have Shaka babysit him, basically. That's, I mm. think it's, it's down to that. And that means changing the shape of the midfield. And, and then, but then I think there's a pretty compelling case to do that anyway, because we've lost Thomas Partey and I'm not sure either Shaka or Lukonga can just step into what he's been doing for us. No. Seamlessly. No, I, I I don't think so. Although I thought Sambi was very bright when he came on. I thought he would look mm-hmm. good, um, got involved, didn't do it easy 
if you know what I mean. Like I think the easy yeah, thing, yeah. and I think uh, you know maybe the uh, another aspect of of how the game was managed last night, maybe the easy substitution in, in those circumstances when party comes off and you're three nil down, maybe the easy substitution is um, Mohamed El Neni. You know, it's mm. safety first, plenty of experience. He can go on. He can keep the ball moving, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I, I said to you at, just at halftime, um, as I was watching some of the um, the game, I had left it playing here in front of me while we were talking and everything else. There was some good football from Arsenal, particularly in the last ten or fifteen minutes. And I know that had to do with the game state where Palace didn't really have to do anything but there was some good combination play and some nice movement and Sambi was involved in that so I think maybe giving him those minutes speaks to um, his probable involvement uh, at the weekend whether it's exactly the same role as as Thomas Partey I, I don't know we might have to revert if you like to using the double pivot kind of thing with 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 mm-hmm. um Shaka sitting a bit deeper just to take some of the pressure if we talk about you know Tavares needing Shaka if he plays i think maybe Sammy might as well you know just to have that experience exactly, yeah. beside him i think that's where this is headed to be honest with you mm. and it's a bit frustrating because you know we kind of feels like we sort of slightly moved away from that and we're evolving past it but i sort of think it might be a situation of needs must i mean they see Sambi as someone who can play that party role one day in future. I think that's where they uh, view his career going. It's just if he's ready for all that responsibility, it's such a pressure role, you know, take mm. the ball off the centre-halves, guys pressing you. Teams will have watched Palace. I think the pressing will be even more in- intense probably moving forward in-, in that part of the pitch. I do think he might need a mate next to him just yeah. to kind of give stability well let me ask you this I mean we had another question here from Anders Janssen who's at Anders Janssen but with a three in it Um, uh, and he says badly morning guys humbling defeat but the tyranny party injuries hurt more do you think Arteta should stick to our system and move around players or change the system to fit to the current squad which sort of you know is, is what we were talking about maybe in the first half that Elements of the way that we play, while they've been effective, have become a bit too predictable. And in order to be more effective or in order to to put the opposition off their own games, something like Martinelli up front might be a, a, a way to go. Yeah, I mean, like I said, if we had party and we had Tierney, I'd say stick, don't twist and see if you can recapture what you were doing. But... I think that some of this necessitates a degree of change because our squad isn't deep enough that we can lose players and mm. do the same things. That's the reality, I think. Like, we don't have another Parte, you know? Mm. We don't have another Tierney, even. Um, I, I think back to the Villa game. We We lost a couple of players on the day or close to the game for that. You know, we lost Ramsdale and we lost Martinelli. But those are players in positions where it doesn't hurt us that much. Yeah. Um, And that's not true across most of the pitch. Um, I do wonder, though, you know, uh, I guess where I seem to be coming, heading towards in terms of what happens next is is something like moving Shaka a bit deeper next to Sambi. 
But of course, that affects what you're doing in the opposition third. So then I think that becomes up for debate and up for grabs as well. Um, and if you need to enliven that, mm. Martinelli through the middle is a, a way to do it. Um, equally, will Arteta see that as too much change at this point in time? I mean, what really even about... To know. Look, I'm... I don't think Eddie and Kedia has been brilliant or anything else, but let's say you're looking for somebody to do what you want Lacazette to do, but to do it with perhaps a bit more energy and a bit more spritefulness and a bit more zip, which, uh, to be fair, I think Eddie showed last night. There was some nice movement in around the box at times, hit the bar, of course. It was pretty good, I think. It was pretty yeah. good. Like, I mean, he's not our future. We all know that. We all know what the lay of the land is here. But, uh, like, at some point, do you not have to just try at least and send a message to a player, like your form matters. Even if we're short of options, your form matters. And if you can't do it, then someone else has to. Maybe, maybe. I, as I said in part one, I'd be much more excited about the prospect of Martinelli than Nketiah. Oh, sure. Me too. Um, me too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. And and probably even more intrigued by Smith Rowe, to be frank. Um, oh, Really? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Right. I, I actually thought Smith Rowe. I think I I, I, I query this because um, I've seen contra, uh, commentary to the contrary. But I thought Smith Rowe had a pretty in. I thought he had some pretty good moments in the game. Actually, I know he had the big miss, but I think he I grew was, into I, it. Yeah. Yeah. Second half, I thought there was some really interesting stuff from him around the edge of the box. You know, I think he actually showed some sort of clever touches to kind of play between the lines in a way that, you know, is, is kind of what we've been looking for Lacazette to do off late. And I, I thought maybe there's something in that. I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. I think when he moved more centrally, yeah, he started to play with a bit more intent, a bit more forward and intent. And the speed whereas, combination was good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I don't rule that out. I mean, it's... It, it, well, listen, one thing it does, I mean, we're not grateful for this, but it does make Saturday very interesting. Like that team selection yeah, will be one of the most interesting um, of the season, I suspect. How much do you think that the team selection on Saturday will be with just Saturday in mind? Like, let's him, like the reports on Tierney are that potentially he needs uh, surgery, so the season is over. Like, do yeah. you then pick a team for Saturday, which is, okay, this is this is how we're going to cope with this for the rest of the season? Or do you literally just go, okay, we've got to deal with this. We've got to deal with the party thing. Let's pick a team to win this game, see how people perform and, and go from there. Or do you think there might be a bit more um, of a long-term or medium-term uh, view on, on how we set up? Yeah, it's a good question. I think... I think realistically, they have to win the game. And I think mm. it will be a team to win the game. Um, and I think if things come out of that, that you want to carry forward, then maybe you do. Mm. But I, I think I think at this stage of the season, I think a lot of decisions are short term. Um, what do you think? One game at a time. I think, you know... I don't know that you can 
you can really plan for or strategize losing two key players like Partey and Tierney in, in one game or in one the period of one day, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it will be about assessing who's available, who we can bring back in. If Tommy Asu is available, it would be great. Um, and maybe then you, you, you tilt that balance, as we said, by perhaps using Cedric, Shaka and yeah, I, I think they'll just look to to win this one, see what happens. But I think there comes a point where you have to think about making some changes um to the way that we play, regardless of those injuries, because um yeah, that there's not quite enough variety to 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 trouble teams. Palace did their homework last night. Absolutely did their homework. And while we played poorly and they played well, um, we've been sussed, if you like. The system has been sussed out. So I, I think it might force and our hands. The system do- might not be viable anymore, given yeah, the players yeah. that we're well, that's, missing. That's what I mean. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, Partey, I think you can make a very good case was the key piece in that system. So if he's absent, and I think he is going to be absent, I think he's going to mm. miss a few games at least personally and based on you know what the kind of feedback was last night um, mm. I don't think there's a great deal of confidence about his situation I think he felt something go so that's mm. a worry I, I mean listen we're talking here about um, depth I guess and we had a question on the discord Elizabeth's Royal Arsenal said I was concerned when we didn't sign anyone in January but was told by many people that it wouldn't be a big deal. I settled in and began to believe maybe it wouldn't cause us trouble. But after what happened yesterday, injuries and lack of depth from the bench, I'm very concerned again that we didn't make signings. Is January coming back to bite us in the arse? And it was always the risk, wasn't it? It was always the risk. I don't think everybody said it's going to be fine, don't worry about it. It was always a worry that when you thin out your squad... Injuries are going to have injuries and suspensions are going to have a bigger impact than they would otherwise. Um, then it comes back to what you think about recruitment and how we should recruit. The argument you could make is that we could have got a short term signing in, short term player. Um, but when I think about the injuries that we've got or the ones that we've picked up, in central midfield, it's not really... We've got players. We've got Sambi, we've got Elneny, we've got Shaka. Mm. At left-back, we've got Tavares. Nobody was saying we should sign a left-back in January. Nobody was saying no. we should sign a central midfielder in January, really. Maybe some people did. What people were saying well, there was... there was a lot of talk, wasn't there? Arthur was linked and... Yeah, um, I guess. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It was on the list. It was on the list because Maitland-Niles was going... Um, that's fair indeed one. yeah but again you know if you if you parse it right down again you could say that you know on top of the players I already mentioned you've got Smith Rowe and you've got Odegaard who could play in there as well so that idea of should we just bring in a player for the sake of bringing in a player we've done enough of that and I think the general consensus was that like we shouldn't just go and sign a striker for the sake of signing a striker you know 
Um, mm-hmm. It opens up the whole Aubameyang debate again. But look, it's water under the bridge at this point. Um, I don't know what the answer is to that, really, other than it was a calculated gamble, I guess. Uh, and to this point, yeah, it's worked Arsenal out. Have had some, Arsenal have had some benefit from carrying a smaller squad this season, for sure, I think, in terms of the connection and the group and uh, the focus and pulling in one direction. But this is the other side of it. You know, when you lose players, you you start to feel it. Um, I think it's probably not helped by the fact that Spurs appear to have had quite a good January. They made a couple of signings that improved their first 11. Yeah. Um, ben Tanker and, and Kulisevsky came in and have made a big difference. I, I think um, the, the bigger issue really is that, you know, Arsenal, we're kind of at a point in our trajectory and in the building of the squad where we've got a strong first 11 and then you look beyond that and we don't have very much. Mm. Um and I think fixing that is actually a fairly substantial job that will take time. And I'm not sure it could have been done in January. I mean, we might have got one or two in. But like you say, I'm not sure that would have fixed all the problems we've got. So, yes, depth is an issue. But there are reasons, I guess, they chose to carry the squad that they're carrying. Um, yeah, it's it's that balance, isn't it? Like, you know... It's hard, yeah. I hate our, I hate the way we've done our transfer business. Let's not do that anymore. And then when we don't do that, there's, you know, there's a potential downside to that too, where maybe just a warm body would be useful. But then if you sign someone who's sitting on the bench or he's not that good or you get a Dennis Suarez, you know, people give out about that as well. Like I said, it's a calculated risk. I think up until up until now, it's it's worked out fairly well. Um, it's about yes. how 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 much he can galvanize the players that he's got after a defeat like this. Which, as you know, as I said earlier on, you know, you do want to put it in the one one game at a time box, but at the same time, you know, there are old wounds there that aren't too difficult to to pick at um, because they're, they're still pretty recent. So I understand why there is a, an element of fear. Like it's easy to go, okay, here we go, here we go, here we go. When things are going well, but it's also easy to go, Oh fuck, here we go again. When you get turned over, like we did against palace. So sure. I sure. And I, I understand think the scoreline, you know, emphasizes that. And um, in terms of the squad and the depth, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we love Kieran Tierney, we love Thomas Partey, but I guess if you were going to bet, I feel bad saying this, but if you're going to bet on a couple of players to break down, Eek. yeah, they'd be up there, wouldn't they? That's true. In, I mean, in this yeah. squad, there was a question on the Discord from Zach Taze who said, "What are your opinions on Klopp's very purposeful removal of Alexander Arnold from international duty via an in inverted commas?" Injury, while Thomas Tuchel does something similar with Rhys James. Both absolutely key players who are now well-rested for the crunch stage of the season. Meanwhile, Tierney, who has a history of injuries, plays 180 minutes in two friendlies and is now out for the rest of the season, potentially. And we don't know yet. Um, should Klopp's mm. regular shenanigans be called out or, if you can't beat them, join them? Well, I mean, in, in that particular example, Alexander Arnold, I don't think he played this weekend. So presumably 
there is something there. Um, I think Joe Gomez played at right back for Liverpool. But nevertheless, yeah, I think, you know, when the crunch is on for clubs, you've got to protect your players. Um, I, I think what's difficult is that, for example, in Partey's case, it was World Cup qualifier, right, against Nigeria. Yeah. I mean, that you couldn't have persuaded him to miss that game. It's a huge game for Ghana. Um, I just, and I think he was captain. I mean, you're fighting a losing battle trying to convince him to not be involved with that. Yeah. T&E with Scotland with the friendlies. I think the manager could have done us a bit more of a favour, frankly, um, than playing him for 180 minutes. I don't think Andy Robertson played anything like that. Um, but these players are really important to their countries. And that's one of the difficulties you face. In fact, I was counting up the other day the amount of Arsenal players that could be at this World Cup in November, December. We're looking at a lot. We're into double figures. Um, I think it's going to be between like 10 and 15, potentially, mm. depending on who qualifies. And, and that is a good thing. I mean, it's not long ago. I remember... Do you remember, was it the Euros or the World Cup? We had an international tournament recently where there were about four Arsenal players involved. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of weird, you know, but... Yeah, because always as a neutral, it was like, okay... Uh, who do we support? Who, who do we support? I guess it's Switzerland. Who's got, who's got the most Arsenal players, you know, at a tournament, yeah. so... But yeah, so it's great that these players are getting that recognition, but yeah, fucking hell, it is annoying when they come back and have a problem. And it's, it's difficult to, you know, the timing is... Um, Suspicious, so we say, after the travel and the game time, and um, mm. yeah, I mean, do I, we I think it would be a lot to write it off as coincidence? Yeah, I mean, do we have details of Tierney's injury? I mean, the, I saw early reports saying he he reported back to Arsenal with yeah. the problem, um, and he has had a knee problem before, so. Yeah, it's not. I don't know the exact timing. If it was like in game or in training, or, yeah. Um, not sure, not sure, but it's they've done the early scans on it and um mm. seen the specialist today, isn't it? Tuesday. So but but basically they already know that it's bad news. It's a question of how bad at this point. How annoying. Yeah, really annoying, really annoying, and a real shame for him and just unfortunate our circumstances you know if this was October and Tavares was playing really well well mm. much better than he is now let's say then maybe it wouldn't be such a big deal but it's, it's come at a time where we're, we're having problems in that part of the pitch and uh, let me ask have you got one there or will I ask uh, I've got a load, but we've sort of talked around a lot of these. So if you've got something that's a bit different, then by all means. Um, on the Discord, Jithin Krishnan says, we've often spoken about how a team full of younger players is likely to show some inconsistency. Do you think last night can be attributed to that, or do you think there are more structural problems to address? I know we've sort of talked about this, but... Can you ask me that again, Andrew? Sorry, my phone was ringing and I was distracted. <laughs> he said, we have often spoken about how a team full of younger players is likely to show some inconsistency. Can last night be attributed to that or do you think there are more structural problems to address? Well, I think there is this question of like opposition catching up with what we're doing and how we adapt to that. Yeah. Um, but I do think that inexperience is part of it I mean even the best teams have off days um, 
And Arsenal, to be clear, like over the past uh, year and a bit, have been a good team. I think it's really important we don't lose sight of that. Like, it's not fluke that we've climbed the table in the way that we have. Our results have been good. The way we've been playing has been good. We've been pretty good. We've basically, on balance, been sort of the third or fourth best team throughout that period in this league. And granted, there's a big gap between the top two and the rest. Um, And we didn't become that overnight. And we don't lose that overnight either. I do think that. I think there's still a lot to be encouraged by. I think inexperience is a part of it. I think with experience comes that understanding of the mentality, the physicality, Mm. knowing about the preparation, knowing about needing to be ready. I think that is a factor. Um, I think steadying yourself on the pitch. I always remember like talking to Lee Dixon about this, about how when things are against you, you just need to be able to sort of settle down into a game, how you need to kind of take a moment and breathe almost and just do simple things to kind of get a foothold. Mm. And I felt like Arsenal didn't didn't achieve that last night. And I wonder if experience plays its part. Um, I, I think it's quite an interesting one because you could talk about or, or think about or discuss the inexperience, but I think what what's crucial is that in games like this, the experienced players step up, as you say. Yeah. And last night, the experienced players didn't. Odegaard, I know no. he's still 23, 24, but a very experienced player. He he was off his game. Thomas Partey, off his game. Alexandra Lacazette, off his game. You know, and those are three fairly senior players in an area of the pitch where if you're going to get a foothold leaving aside the defensive issues that we had, if you're going to turn the tide, you need those guys. So it's not really the inexperienced players. It's the the inability of the experienced players to sort of bring those guys along, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And when we talk about inexperienced players, like, who are we talking about? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's Tavares, sure. Like, he's raw and he's not had a load of games. Um, I think on age, you know, you'd look at Saka, Smith-Rowe, Martinelli. Uh, mm. I think White and Ramsdale are sort of marginal, really. I mean, they've played a lot of football at this point. Um, same with Gabriel. A bit yeah. older. Yeah. yeah, same with Gabriel. So... Maybe an experience isn't right. Uh, maybe it's not about age, what I'm saying, about knowing this stuff, but maybe it's about kind of the growth of a team. And it doesn't matter if they're 19 or they're 28, but there are things that you learn playing yeah, together. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think we do have a way to go on that front. Uh, and I also think it's just a reflection of sort of how good we are or how not good we are. You know, we're, mm. we're sort of... Um, yeah, this is where we are. We're, we've all we've been all season long. We've been a team where if we don't turn up, this could happen. We don't have immunity from this. You know, we're just yeah. not. We don't have the quality or the mentality to be completely uh, resistant to it. Let's do one. Sorry, final- state in the obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Let's just do one final question here, um, because I think we've you know pretty much all the questions today have been around. 
the issues that we've already discussed in terms of yeah, exactly. left back and midfield and how we re-jig uh, the team, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but Ken Moody, who's on Twitter, at Ken underscore Moody, he says another question. Uh, Ogungbo, Flores, Aziz, Patino. Do we have any youngsters ready to help out in the run-in? And I think this is quite interesting. Um, just from the perspective of, like, how do you fill the bench and and how prepared are you maybe to use a player when maybe under normal s- circumstances you wouldn't? Yeah, I mean, that bench was callow, wasn't it, from an Arsenal perspective? Mm. I mean, I looked at the two benches before the game and thought, in terms of attacking options, Palace had more depth and oh, variety yeah. than we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but... It's interesting. In fact, my, Art Deroche was at the academy game last night. Arsenal played Man City, and I was kind of <laughs> texting him, going, "Who's playing left back?" Uh, <laughs> are they good? Um, and funnily enough, they play with three at the back. They play with a wing back, so you know it's not exactly a straight fit in terms of bringing somebody in. Um, is there a young player? I mean. I mean, there's a lot of talk about the the Mexican boys doing well at the moment, isn't there? Is it uh, Flores? Flores, yeah, yeah. Who was on the bench last night for the first time? But a lot of the quality young players in the group are out on loan. You know, if you think about um, someone like Brook Norton Cuffey, he's doing really well. Mm. Could be an option for us at fullback on the right hand side. He's out on loan. Um, but that, you know, again, it's the kind of loan that he needs. You know, it's absolutely. I'm not complaining. Yeah, it's yeah, the right yeah. No, thing, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. To be honest, I'm not convinced there is somebody in the academy who's, who's ready to step up and figure between now and the end of the season. Like, it's a, it's a bunch of cup finals, and I'm not sure you drop a kid into these into a cup final. I remember even when we played Chelsea into in the pandemic, Bukayo Saka, who'd been brilliant that season, didn't get off the bench. Because mm. it was an occasion for people who were kind of hardened to the experience. And I think Arteta will lean into that. So, yeah, I'm not sure I see someone stepping up from the 23s or the academy group. It does feel a bit like on that bench they're there to make up the numbers. Yeah. Um, and I think it will stay that way. What about you? I mean, I think the only sort of area of the pitch where you could potentially use... Uh, someone is is in the attacking side of it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I don't think Aziz and Patino are, are quite there for central midfield, and hopefully, you know, we don't get to a point where we, we need to use them or anything like that. But I do wonder if someone like Omari Hutchinson, if it's the mm-hmm. final 10 minutes of the game and your two attacking substitutions are, you know, Pepe and Nketi and you don't have anyone else, is that the kind of change you can make and you can say to a young guy, just go go on there, get on the ball, have a run at them, see what happens, no pressure on you. You know, you're a kid, um, try and play your game, whatever it might be. I think that's really the only one for me, that kind of a change. You know, maybe Flores is somebody who who you could use. I don't quite know how ready he is, but I, like I, I think there's a generation gap, if you like, between the under-23s that we have and the readiness for Premier League football. So these guys at the moment are there to, like you say, make up the numbers on the bench, 
give us nine substitutes that we can name, but I don't really see any of them um, making a big impact uh, between now and the end of the season, you know? Inclined to agree. Hopefully we don't have so many yeah. more injuries that, you know, we have to do that. Yep. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed for that. Okay, well, look, I think we better leave it there for now and we can hopefully put this game in the box and then take the box out to the desert and bury the box in the desert and then come back, get ourselves refreshed and go again for for Brighton at the weekend. Uh, we will, of course, preview that for you on Patreon a bit later in the week, patreon.com forward slash arsebog. For now, though, we leave it there. Thank you as ever for being here. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.